Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, a podcast where we try to play every Radiohead song on guitar in order. I'm Nick Kendallsberger. And I'm Austin Diaz. Nick, I, I really appreciate that. I don't know if you did it on purpose, but in the intro you said we tried to play every Radiohead song on yeah. guitar. <laughs> Some um, of them are harder than others. Yeah, yeah. This, and especially uh, this set of songs, especially the first one we're going to talk about, is tough. This is what this whole project, we knew we would get here, yeah. where we would have to <sighs> deal with songs like these, but I think it's still really illuminating to play them on guitar because that's how we understand music. I guess if we were really good at playing the trombone, we would <laughs> go through all the Radiohead songs on trombone, and then we would be able to understand them. I mean, which is which is maybe like a better podcast, but... That would be a pretty awesome podcast. If anyone is out there, wants to do a trombone Radiohead we podcast... We will do bonus episode after bonus episode. <laughs> I would listen to that entire thing, yes. Yeah. I did I did play the trombone. Oh, uh, you did? I in, did. In... I was middle school band. Okay. It's a really fun instrument. It sounds really awesome. So you're in Switzerland right now, and right. I'm in Chicago, but we actually saw each other a few weeks ago. Yeah, it was really a last-minute decision to come back and see my family right before Christmas. We recorded, and then, like, I think two days later, I said, well, I'm going to be there. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And you showed up, and you were massively jet-lagged. And so I tried to get us to record, but that would have been a form of torture, I believe, if I made you record. But we were able to play a little Radiohead on guitar together, and that felt pretty good. I think we need to dive right in to the first track here. So we're going to be finishing up Kid A today, and then we'll move on to Amnesiac. But first comes Idiotech. on a capo i did wow okay well, I'm, yeah. i have a secret way to play idiotech okay so we have been sort of following along with this chord book radiohead chord book and i found the chords that they picked out for idiotech to be not right or it just didn't sound right what did you think i thought they sounded okay okay let's let's hear your version i mean there's like Here's mine. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yours definitely works better with the... You get that high note that they have, like when they go back yeah. to the E major 9. Right, because it's you're repeating a note, but it because it has the high note involved with it, it feels different. Mm-hmm. So it is a very strange group of chords and i think we should start out that this is actually a sample that they pulled from a work by paul lansky mild und leise which means soft and quiet 
Have you listened to this work? I did listen Austin? to this work, and then it sent me down a rabbit hole back to uh, Wagner, because yeah, I don't know. I don't know where to start with this. We have to edit. I know. Lots. So, like the Paul Blansky piece is very long, and these chords only show up once. It's not like this is a popular part of that song. It's just a four second or maybe an eight second part of that work. At the very, almost at the very beginning. And this was a piece that Paul Lansky created. There was a competition in the early 70s to create the best modern electric music in a classical style. Paul Lansky just created this. He has this like really kind of fun retrospective on like my journey with Radiohead. He and Johnny were the same age as when he when they wrote the per, these respective songs. They were like on tour or something for OK Computer, and that's where he found it in a used record shop, which is like, really? I mean, they only had, they only had like 7,000 pressings of it. So it's bizarre that Johnny would find it. But like to create this work in the early 70s, it was on an IBM mainframe that was the only computer at the time at Princeton University. It was made using, okay, so it had about one megabyte of memory and cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and had staff around it to run it. He used punch cards to communicate with the machine. So we had to transfer these notes onto a punch card and feed it into the machine to get it to play. Which, I mean, I love it. Right? I it's find so, it like, amazing. Amazing. It's the opposite of sort of now creating music on the computer. Like, it's such a hacker kind of, you have to get your hands dirty to make it. I listened to it on YouTube because it wasn't in Apple Music. So I listened to it on YouTube. And YouTube, I don't have any sort of premium subscription, so it has those ads. And, like, the ads before this piece started was for this, like, Ubisoft or Unicord or whatever, like a chord pack a MIDI chord pack that like you could buy and then create your own music. And, you know, like the disparity between what the advertisement was for and then like what I was wanting to listen to, knowing that it was created with these punch cards. It's just delicious. That is amazing. And right? yeah, and it's, what's amazing too is that he's obviously, Paul Lansky is very musically talented. I think it was based on the, what chord was this? The Tristan chord from Wagner. The piece that Lansky created is actually fascinating mm -hmm. if you go back to it. I mean, it's not very catchy, but it's a it's a beautiful piece. Right. And, in, and it's just it's, a, it's an entire treatise on that one chord from the Tristan und Isolde opera by Wagner. With like, so the chord was called the Tristan chord because it just is like the first chord in the opera, right? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's the first big swell, which uh, at the time completely shocked audiences because of the dissonance. I mean, and it's not necessarily an original chord. It showed up in works by Mozart, Beethoven, Bach, like all the major uh, composers before Wagner. But what's interesting and why like it was then afterwards called a Tristan chord is because it doesn't resolve, right? It's this dissonant chord that didn't leads into another dissonant chord, and then it doesn't resolve for hours. <laughs> like, the whole opera doesn't resolve until, like, the very end, during the part of the Wagnerian opera called Mild und Leise. So, which is why Paul Lansky named his piece this. It's because it's in the Liebestod, the death of love section, where, like, Tristan dies. Spoiler alert. Um, but that's, like, the whole point of the opera. 
so like it's all about not resolving this chord in the Paul Lansky work, but like moving out with the permutations of it and staying in the dissonance instead of letting it resolve. So it's like an in-joke to call it yeah. and lies there, which I would imagine Johnny would have picked up on immediately. So this is Radiohead's first sample, I believe, from another artist. So this is just hilarious. This is so Radiohead that you can't even, like... All right. Ah, oh, we not... sample from someone sampling from Wagner. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. To go along with the sort of Paul Lansky creating things on note cards or, you know, punch cards, they basically created a drum machine sound. So it wasn't like they just went on, they just found a drum machine and programmed these beats. Like apparently they dialed in the beats using frequencies to get it to sound the way they wanted to. Yeah, because the drum beat that starts, right, and it's immediately it sounds cool. I don't know what your first experience was with this song. This came on after In Limbo, and I was like, yes, I'm here for whatever they're doing. It strikes you at the very beginning, maybe for like the first two bars, as like a dance electric song. But this drum beat is actually really nuts if you listen to it closely, because it I don't know how to put it. It's like spilling out of the measures. Like it doesn't actually, it's not regular. No, it's not. The, Even the time sounds... signature changes constantly. I've seen it notated different ways. To me, it sort of feels like... 2-4 and then 4-4, four, four. how they alternate those is is fascinating. Right. It's not 6-4. They've, they've done alternating with time signatures before. Even back on Pablo Honey, like your favorite song, um, Ripcord. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Does that. <laughs> I try to work it in. <laughs> I know, every season as, you try to work that as, in. As often as I can. I mean, have, did you experience this song live? Oh, yeah. So I saw this song live, and it is one of Radiohead's best live songs. Yeah. Now, having tried to learn it on a guitar and like try to play and sing with it at the same time, I have no idea how they pull this off. It's fast on the album, and then it's ridiculously fast live. Right. It gets faster and faster every time they play it, I feel like. <laughs> There's one performance of it that I watched on YouTube where I think it's at the Dublin one. I'll try and find the video and post it on the page, but... Where Tom's singing, like they get to the chorus and he's singing high and then he's lower deep voice, he's saying faster. You know, like he's trying to get everyone to speed up because he doesn't want to hold the note that long. Then he's like faster. (laughs) And then it just like, then it just picks up. And but my experience with this song live is that everyone just went nuts. Right. And like, and, and, but you can't dance to it. You can only sort of like mosh dance, but everyone was down. We haven't even talked about the lyrics, which are very, very dark. So this song, more than any song, has people debating what Tom's actually sang, especially the chorus. So the official chord book that we have says, here I'm allowed everything all of the time. But a lot of people think he's saying, here I'm alive, everything all of the time, which doesn't, it doesn't make sense then, but it sounds like that. I don't know. Well, Do you have I, an opinion? I, I think it, that's. I think it is here. I'm allowed everything all of the time, but because the drum beat's irregular, right? Like mm-hmm. it makes Tom have to sing different. Like it makes him have to crunch his lyrics every now and again. Yeah. Because I think that's why it's so hard to understand what he's saying. But I think like allowed is just a kind of crunch to alive every now and again because like it's not the same. 
space of time that he has to sing the same lyrics in. When I think about that in 2000, you know, he had this lyric that said, here I'm allowed everything all of the time. And last year, one of the cultural phenomenons in 2021 was that Bo Burnham Inside special. And there was one song on there that said, the lyric goes, uh, can I interest you in everything all of the time? And, you know, and everyone's like, oh, it's such a commentary on our society that we want everything all of the time, Amazon Prime and all this sort of stuff. But 21 years before that, Tom was already singing this. This song is obviously a little bit about climate change or a lot about climate change and like everyone having to go down into bunkers at some point. Like around this time, one of the big theories was that it would warm up enough that large enough sheets of ice would break off of Antarctica. And if they floated north enough, they would hit the Gulf Stream which would disrupt the Gulf Stream. And that actually would, despite the rising temperatures everywhere, plunge places like Europe back into an ice age. Well, that doesn't matter to me in America. I know, but I am here. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I don't know. Like, if you're going to give me the choice between, like, an ice age and a heat death, I'm going to pick the former. Grew up in Texas, man. Like, I can't go back to that heat. You can't go back to the constant heat? Yeah. Yeah. But so, all of that being said, you love this song, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't that weird, though, that there's this, like, extreme heaviness to this song? And I just love it. I just want to play it all the time. Yeah. When the harmonies hit at the chorus, I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's so beautiful. And I don't know exactly how that works. I mean, because the chords don't change, right? Like, I mean, it's the same chords through the whole song, sampled with, like, uh, pulling all of those effects from the Arthur Krieger, Krieger, not Krieger, Krieger work. So, yeah, that is the second sample that's used, but it's just a very little part at the beginning. Right. (laughs) Which I'm so glad I found, and and the rest of that piece is fascinating. Yeah. Well, his work in general is fascinating. I mean, I also went down a rabbit hole with that. I mean, like this, I didn't expect this song to take me so many places. Because it's a very spare song. For a lot of it, there's no music at all Mm -hmm. besides just drums and percussion. And I mean, like you have that human hi-hat that comes in that is almost like fighting with the programmed drum beat. That's what confuses me about this song and intrigues me about it endlessly is that it is so kinetic and Mm -hmm. it makes you so excited. But the song is called Idiotech. (laughs) Yeah, not discotech. Not discotech. It's basically about idiots. I don't know when we should bring it up, but I've sent you that video of Reggie Watts doing the parody of Radiohead in, the, in Central Park, I think, in 2012. What I find so fascinating with this song is sort of like the strange legacy it has for Radiohead. I mean, Re- Reggie Watts is sort of like a comedian, music parodist who did a parody of Radiohead. And actually, it's like a you can find lots of different videos of him doing it, and sometimes the song is called Sorry Tom York or whatever. I mean, like, he's obviously a yeah. fan, but he said yeah. in a Vulture interview that he... Also, just kind of wanted to take the piss out of Radiohead because everyone was saying like how great they were, and he's like, "Well, nobody's that great. You can always you can parody everyone," which mm-hmm. I agree with. And I don't find that the parody is unfair. I just find it 
strange, right? Like he he starts out with like a mouth made drum beat and then like mouth made bass beat and then he kind of sings high and unintelligible like you know, we talked about like it's Tom hard York to understand what Tom York <laughs> does. And everyone recognizes as Radiohead. And at some point he starts like kind of reciting fitter, happier. And the whole song ends with that, uh, the same way that Karma Police ends, right? And so he's like, it's just this interesting phenomenon that he's sort of cast this umbrella of uh, electronic idiotech over the entirety of Radiohead's, well, at least back into OK Computer catalog. As we've discussed many times, like... OK Computer was not an electronic album. Right. Even though it somehow entered the consciousness of that. And like this song on Kid A, which is also a departure from alternative rock, is the only electronic-ish song really. And it's mm-hmm. not that either. I find it interesting that that like the idea of Idiotech becomes like, this is what Radiohead is now. This is all they're doing, which is not oh, the case. That is a good point, yeah. Wow. Okay, well, we got to move on or we're never... We yeah, could do a whole been, episode, been, apparently, yeah, on, I guess so. <laughs> on Idiotech. I will say, like, this is one of my favorite Radiohead songs. I don't know exactly where it fits, but it's probably in the top ten. I mean, it's in the top ten for sure, if not... Ah, oh, man. It's in the top ten for sure. Like, I, it, top creating a top ten would be torturous, but it's, it's there. I know, it will be. We'll have to do it at the end of the whole thing, but I just... We're talking about an album that starts... Beyond strong. <laughs> and even this far into it is still hitting with the same force for me. Well, not even it's not even that it's hitting with the same force, but it's still surprising. I mean, I can it's so surprising is that I can still remember the first time time this song came on. I yeah. can remember this song started and I was like again? You know, because like everything in its right place, <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Right? And then Three Fingers, and then In Limbo, and like and In Limbo is like a really strange song, and then all of a sudden they just drop this right afterwards, and you think... Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah. that's a great way to end the Idiotech discussion, I think. Yeah, that's good. Okay. And now we need to move on to Morning Bell. We've done a pretty good job of not trying to offer up interpretations of songs that there is one interpretation of a song that is the correct one because I feel like a lot of Radiohead fans want to say this song is about X and here are the reasons why every other interpretation is wrong but like Tom York says that Morning Bell is about a ghost (laughs) that was living in his house he, so I said, when we came off OK Computer, I bought this house, this empty house, and it had a ghost in it. The interviewer said, what sort of ghost? And Tom said, well, quite friendly, but a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also like, this is just seems like such a domestic song that it's hard to separate my feelings of the song with that interpretation. I always thought it was a song about divorce. Right. And, but it is, I mean, the ghost thing does work because it's so violent. 
It is a very violent song. And the like release me sort of has this, you can sort of <laughs> understand the ghost is just like hanging out and trying to get out. It's howling down the chimney. Release me, release me. I find it so fascinating that we started this conversation with what the lyrics mean. This is like the first time we've done it. No, I know. And I, I did that purposefully because I feel like this song is sort of, is very important to the album and how it builds up. Feels like we're coming to the end, but I'm very leery about ever making Kid A mean something specific. Yeah. But to get back into the conspiracy, <laughs> like this just seems to me like you can totally interpret this song as someone going through a divorce or like release me from this situation. You right. can keep the furniture. Where'd you park the car? Like how many times have you been in a, even with my wife where I'm just like, I'm in these situations like where I don't, where is the car? I don't know how many arguments you guys have but like sometimes we'll have an argument and like then we just sort of say that we have to stop right and then like because i have to go do something like i have to go cook right and i'm like where is right. this like <laughs> where is the mixer you know but like i can only ask it's kind of mad because i'm so mad from the argument and it's like but it's still so domestic i had like where is this thing like <laughs> because you have to get things accomplished to like keep the the family going right you know like your kids got to eat but then the clothes are on the lawn with the furniture. Like you can totally interpret that as someone like getting so mad and throwing all the other person's stuff. Well, but we and haven't I, even gotten to the darkest lyric, in my opinion, which is like cut the kids in half. Correct. Like, this is the darkest lyric. You know, like, <laughs> uh, which I don't know. I mean, I have two theories as to the origin of the lyric. Which is either like that's, you know, if you have kids involved in a divorce, you're basically cutting them in half. Mm -hmm. Or you have that story with Solomon, like the two Correct. women that are fighting over the baby. And it's like, let's just cut it in half. Right. Like that's which leads him to the right answer because the actual mother says, OK, no, just take the baby. I don't know how that applies to any sort of interpretation of this song. Yeah, I don't either. But I mean, I don't think I, we're talking about I mean, I don't think he's literally saying cut the kids in half. Yeah, I reread the Solomon story because it's been a while. Solomon made that decision or, you know, to cut the kids in half so that he could find out who was actually the mother. But right before that is when sort of Solomon had a dream that God came to him and that God gave him wisdom. So this is sort of a divine order. And after that, it says, and, and all of Israel heard of the judgment that the king had judged and they held the king in awe, and they saw that God's wisdom was within him to do justice. Yeah, um, I mean, it's like part exemplar of his wisdom, this story. If you grew up going to church as often as you and I did, the, the line cut the kids in half, like immediately grabs your attention because you know exactly where it is. Mm -hmm. And you can't divorce it from that, that tie that you had. And I think that you can get all these very dark interpretations of the song almost because the music is so uneasy. Mm -hmm. There's no resolution yeah. for much of the song. Like that, uh... So it's going with this A minor to an A major 7. Right. That is sometimes oh. a C minor. That is sometimes a C minor. Which is, I mean, uh, Tom plays with that... Well, it's like an inversion of what Tom usually plays with, because it's, you know, 
from the transition of the A minor to the A major seven, right? It's like still an A major seven because you keep the A string open, right? But I mean, the, the way that the changing the bass line changes the color of that chord is, I mean, because otherwise the fingering's the same, right? It's mm -hmm. just one note that's different between C minor and A major seven, which is. Um, to loop it back to the previous song, like that's one of the things that makes the Isolde or Tristan chord so okay. interesting is that like it's this these minor thirds stacked on top of a differing bass note, but the, like a bass note can change the color of the subsequent notes is fascinating. Yeah. Did you always like this song? <sighs> I liked the Amnesiac version. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. I, I don't know if we should do talk about that right now. No, I think we have to say you're going to have to wait, audience. Okay. We're going to have to wait. I mean, I, I prefer this version. You would. I would. I The <laughs> nervousness of the drums I find wonderful. But it is good. We'll, we're just going to shut the conversation down. Yeah. Because at this point, when I had this album, I had no idea that Amnesiac would come out. Right. Or that it would have the same song in a different form. I like this song. I don't know if the sequencing does it any favors. Oh, that's, yeah, it's insane. That's not true. Ah. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. Let me put it in different. Let me explain myself. No, you can have that opinion. It's just wrong opinion. For me, it's just like this song, it's not that I didn't like it, but it disappeared between the two mountainous works of Idiotech before it and Motion Picture Soundtrack after it. Okay. And I mean, it is a good valley song and, you know, like a dark, creepy valley sort of song. So like maybe that's actually genius sequencing, but in terms of like my recall or like how I without listening to the album, how I like think about it. I mean, it just, this song sort of disappears between those two. And I think maybe if it wasn't between those two, I would, it would stick more in my overall recollection of the album. This was one that took me some time to get into. And I feel like I like it more now than I used to. I feel like the album has this beautiful run up to the end. And especially the last 30 seconds of this song are bizarre and wonderful. Yeah. That like a... And then it goes up and it goes... Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And then this like... Sound comes out. <laughs> Just like swallows it. Like... It swallows everything and it feels almost like a... I, I can't separate my thoughts from it from the first time I heard it was from one of the blips that was released before the album actually came out. Mm -hmm. These little short music videos that came before the album and that sort of solo part happened and it was like this monster came out of the hills. <laughs> <laughs> and so I can't separate that feeling I have from hearing that. Okay, that's a good point to end it. So now we get we got to move on to the last song, which is motion picture soundtrack. Red. 
in the lead up to Kirei coming out, right? I mean, there were all of these songs on Napster, right? Like, there's a big dump of sort of bootlegs from not even live recordings, but like somehow studio recordings of songs. And then, you know, there's all this online speculation as to what was going to be on Kid A. The two songs that I was waiting for were True Love Waits, because that was available already. Uh-huh. And this song, Motion Picture Soundtrack. I love this song. I mean, like I love, I had, before Kid A came out, I had like just a warbly, like, you know how MP3s used to have like that kind of warbly quality to them? I only yeah, had that. they were so low quality. Right. I only had that version of this song, and I loved it. I figured it out myself, like, what these chords were. Like, that's weird C. And then the weird B. Um, and you know that I play this song all the time. And I have to admit that this was hard for me when the song came... When the album came out, Kid A. Right. Right, because, like, you know, I... I know this, I knew this song backwards and forwards, and then it starts the way it starts, right? Like, I saw that track listing, and I made myself wait. You know, like, I knew Motion Picture Soundtrack was coming, and I hadn't watched any of the blips. I'm going completely blind to this album, and I see Motion Picture Soundtrack, like, disappointed that True Love Waits isn't there, but, like, Motion Picture Soundtrack, okay, I'll take it. And then, what is it, an accordion? It's a harmonium? Harmonium, exactly started and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> so I think the first time I didn't like it, but now I find it genius. <laughs> I had this whole argument ready because I knew this about you. I knew that you loved that acoustic version. Yeah. And I thought I was going to have to fight tooth and nail to like convince you. Cause I was not going to take it. I was not going to let you have that opinion. I understand what you're saying because the original acoustic version, he's singing like old Tom York. Very clear and pretty. Because this is a very old song. This is actually written before Creep. Oh, right. Yeah. He calls it pre-Creep. <laughs> is how it was. Yeah. Uh, I believe it has the same chord as in uh, Thinking About You. Is that right? Yeah. Didn't you say that that chord would come back in a much better song later? I did. I know. <laughs> I know I said it. And it did. I love this song a lot. But I want to explain why I think this recording is better than the acoustic version. Because mm -hmm. I know there are still a lot of Radiohead fans that feel the same way that you used to feel. When he was singing it before, it was very sincere. This version is different. <laughs> he had said that he thought he always wanted this song to be this big, dramatic epic. And then he realized that he was putting too much emotion into the song because he sang mm -hmm. it very straight. He's like, the song is really about that, you know, we've just been sold a huge lie. Disney and all of these other companies have sort of created this consumer want of like, we need these things that will make us feel happy we need these stories. We need these stories. That, like, then we need all, and then all this stuff that is attached to the stories. Everything that is attached to Star Wars and Frozen and Harry yeah. Potter. It's almost of our, our identity is shaped by these other things. So what I love about this song, without getting into sort of its meaning, is that the original was just on guitar. 
he sang verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then he had the bridge, which yeah. is that B. In the acoustic version is the B7. Oh. Okay. It's like... It's very different. It is. But then in the acoustic version, there's a third verse. Which was originally my favorite verse. And then they had another chorus and then the bridge again. The recorded version on Kid A gets rid of that. And so what it means is that every part of this song is completely unexpected. So you get through one verse and then a chorus and then all of a sudden it sounds like a thousand harps are coming in. And they just like float around your head and you would never expect that to happen. And so you get through that part and a chorus. And then when that bridge comes in, because it goes from like a minor to a major, it's so unexpected. And then all those chords in that are Wonderful chords. Yeah. I mean, the bridge, the bridge, the recorded version of the bridge is much better, right? Like, acoustic version is like the B7 and then like the D, E minor with D. Okay. And then you have like this. Right? I mean, like, it's, it's nice, but like, I mean, the recorded version is the... This chord. Mm-hmm. And then this, I mean, like they do the major seven chord a lot on this album. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And so Tom actually said he wanted to make a video for it. He's like, we're not going to, but he's like, if we did, it would be like a Disney cartoon where like uh, a bluebird like sits on his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> he said kind of like zippity doodah I was very angry when you sent me that and I was like uh, where is this coming in <laughs> it, when those harps come in it has a very lush like almost Hollywood sound like very mm-hmm. Disney there's obviously some other influences as well I, I sent you or I played for you actually when you were in Chicago Alice Coltrane and she is a harp player and she's unbelievable harp player it's really like, I was happy that I heard that and then I've been listening to more of it when possible. I don't know. I saw some interpretations of this song. I'm fighting back against the interpretations that this song is about a suicide because I saw some interpretations of like red wine and sleeping pills being like, oh man, that person is doing that because they don't have any like will to live anymore. And I'm right. like, Oh man, red wine's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And sleeping pills. And sleeping let's go. Pills. <laughs> like, well, actually, like I think the yeah the acoustic version is also it's white wine. It's like it was also the big. Oh okay. Yeah. I interpret it more as these are the things that this person does to get through the disappointment of not sort of experiencing life as they want to. I find it like it's when you take it with the title. Everyone knows wine and sleeping pills. Like, that's a movie cliche. The verses run through movie cliches. Like, stop sending letters. I mean, I I don't know how you felt, but, like, I felt like I was completely misled by romantic comedies in, like, teen movies and stuff. Like, girls did not want me to write them letters. (laughs) They found it creepy. Uh, And I was like, oh, okay, I don't do this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they just want, like, girls just wanted me to talk to them. 
to their face, which I, I wasn't good at. <laughs> no, no, because that's terrifying. Right. I mean, I would just not even talk on the phone. Yeah, so, like, that anyone would really s- sort of take it seriously when it's f- so obvious, for me at least, it's so obviously cliches, and then that it was given that title because that's what it's doing. Even in the third verse that got cut off is kind of what he's doing. But then what is the I will see you in the next life? Isn't that also a movie cliche? Is- yeah, it is. It's like this uh, we'll be together forever. Right. You know, like even in the movies that aren't Christian or something, it's all like if there's a death in the movie, somebody says like, you'll see them again. In every movie, like they tell, they tell someone or they say like, we'll see you again soon or like Titanic, like I'll never stop letting go. No, you did. You let go and he died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But this is how we calm ourselves down, maybe, is by saying these things. Yeah, I and mean, it's also why it can be used to great effect or misused like the one time it popped up in the kid a version was at the end of this movie i origins that somebody recommended that i watch and then i was very mad at that person because <laughs> it's just a dumb movie and it like okay. ends it ends with this song taking the song completely seriously and i i was so I think, I mean, I didn't like the movie beforehand, but then like when it, they did that at the end of the movie, I was just done. I was like, <laughs> you missed the point. I know. <laughs> like, for example, uh, in the first season of Westworld, there's like a really pivotal scene where there's like a string version of this mm-hmm. song. And I didn't realize it, what it was exactly until it got to the chorus. And then I was like, oh, this is, I went back and like just played the song over and over again. But it was a string version that worked because the music is kind of dramatic. So you sent me a recording of 20 people playing it at a funeral on horns. It was really beautiful. And you could tell that it meant a lot to that person or like that it meant a lot to the people playing it at the time. But it totally goes against this idea that the song is sort of exposing this like white lie. I mean, it's uh, I really appreciate I really like that recording. Right. (laughs) I like to watch, I mean, I don't know if I like to watch it, but I get emotional watching it. But there's a comment underneath it that says, like, Tom would be proud. And I go, no, he wouldn't. Tom probably does not like that this song is used at a funeral. I mean, at least nobody's singing it. That's true. And the arrangement on horns and the way that they swell into the second chorus. Yeah. And then stop. I mean, like, that's very. It's really beautiful. It's a good arrangement. It yeah, it, it really did kind of move me. I was very surprised about how effective it was. But then it's also like, yeah, I don't think that's what Tom wanted at all. And I think no. that he got the version he wanted on Kid A, and that the song probably could have been much more popular if it would have been done sort of like the acoustic version. Sure. But I'm yeah. so glad it wasn't. I'm ultimately glad that it wasn't. Two, but I mean, I for me, the songs exist separately. Everything about this album is so unexpected. Almost every song is unexpected. And then you get to motion picture soundtrack, and it sounds like nothing else on the whole album. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be the familiar song, right? And like it's supposed it was a- to be the familiar song, right? Oh, man. It's just the, it's a perfect ending for the album. For it's the most unexpected ending for a completely unexpected album. Are we, are we sure that we're not going to do awards per album? I mean, because I, I find that 
when you have such strong feelings about Kid A and I have really strong feelings about Amnesiac, it's too many songs to pick awards for. So are you thinking we should do that right now? Yeah. Okay, then let's do it. Do you remember all of the different categories? Uh, let's go through it. Hold on. There's the um, Creep, the reluctantly the best song. Mm-hmm. Blowout is our favorite song. I can't believe how good this song is. Is that I can't. Is that I can't. And then we're not going to do the, the best B-side. B-side because we haven't got there yet. We haven't gotten to Amnesiac yet, so we can't do the best B-sides. We can get to the what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, try again. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many jokes about Amnesiac, I can't oh. even wait. Oh, man, it's going to be... Okay. My comfort in my knowledge of its primacy okay. is... Secure. Reluctantly best song. Not reluctantly, but I think like the best song is Idiotech. It's just the best one. You can prod it and it just has so much depth to it, even though it doesn't seem like that at first. Um, And even though it's like the biggest departure for the band on this album, and it's like, as I talked about, kind of becomes something that people parried him for. Like this song is just amazing. Like there's a reason it's so well known. So yes, I've been thinking about the best and I have to go with the title track, Kid A, because I think that it is the most bizarre song on the album, and I think that it's the key to understanding the album, is the one song that even now sounds like I don't think they even understand how it works. They just were able to put these things together to create this song (laughs) that allows you to tap into another world, and I think that they're even a little conflicted about like how did they do that yeah how were they able to do that but so yeah that's my my, my pick for the creep award so the blowouts so my favorite one i think has to go to everything in its right place i don't know i just love that song and it's just when you 20 21 years removed now like going through this process and then trying those chords for the first time before i listened to it there was just sort of this like awakening. It was so refreshing as I talked about, I think when we talked about the song, like having done all of this, all of the, the preceding Radiohead catalog, just how it opens and then it builds and builds and builds. And then you're just in this place. Like, I don't, I don't know where I am, mm-hmm. but I'm happy that I've been brought here. It might be the best opener of all of the albums. And I mean, it's definitely my favorite opener. I will, I will concede that point. Okay. Um, Man, what yeah. is my, my favorite? This gets back to the, the issues with the categories and that Kid A, the title track, is probably my favorite as well. The other song that, when I think of Kid A, the one that I'm most excited to probably hear is probably Idiotech. They managed to like just bottle up excitement. Kid A has this reputation as sort of being this downer of an album. It's so exciting. It's just bristles with energy almost every track. Like even even Tree Fingers, which is an instrumental or like a ambient track is so alive, but no track sort of handles that better than than Idiotech. And so then I can't believe how good this song is. I'm going to have to give to In Limbo. 
Okay. Because I really can't believe how good that song is. I really, I before we did this, I hadn't paid that much attention to it. And then you start playing it. And one, it's it's the hardest one to learn to really play, maybe outside of Idiotech if you're trying to play it on the guitar, which it's not meant for. But In Limbo is just a fascinating song. It's like so strong. It goes crazy at the end. The lyrics are weird. And there's all these like weird sounds going on the whole time. And the time signature change and... It was just, it was surprising to me how good that song was. Like, it really lives up to the I Can't Believe How Good It Is mm-hmm. award. Because I knew it, I mean, and I liked it. Then learning it and really breaking it down, I, it's just an amazing song. Yeah, I, I'd have to pick In Limbo as well. That's a song, I think that was the hardest song for me to get into at first. And then it's a song that's that... I have liked more and more each year and then learning to play it made me like it even more then. So that's my official answer. I will say like tree fingers, the fact that you can actually play that song, it just boggles my mind. I didn't think that song had an, a structure. And then when you find that it does have a structure, it allows you to, it makes the listening of it even better. I mean, it's sort of like in the same way that you have to sort of learn how to listen to a symphony or like a quartet. Yeah. And then like once you learn how to listen to it and it really opens up for you, like it's the same way with tree fingers. It's like you can either just let it sort of wash over you and you like it or you can like, ah, there is a structure here. Just increases the appreciation. But it, that it works both ways is also. All right. Well, we got to move on here. That was amazing yeah. discussion. So yeah. we'll see you next week with uh, Amnesiac. So I guess we're going to do the first four tracks. We're going to start with the first four songs, which is going to be like Packed Like Sardines in a Crushed Tin Box, Pyramid Song, Pulk Pool Revolving Doors, and You and Whose Army. All the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsperger and Austin Diaz. Mm-hmm.